Good morning, fellow visionaries. We are thrilled that you have joined us this morning, and the Sunday special edition will begin in just a few moments. But first, it's important to know, have you been personally invited to Vision's second ever greatest convention? If not, if you think that your presence is not important to all of us at A Vision for You, then consider this an invitation handed to you, specially delivered. We are very interested in having you attend. The date is September 15th, 16th, and 17th, 2017. We will be rolling out the red carpet of recovery for each of us. A big book convention for compulsive overeaters. Just imagine the time together with each one of us. The power of the big book. A weekend of inspiration, education, motivation, and fellowship. It will be held in northern New Jersey at the Liberty International Airport Marriott Hotel and Convention Center. A vision for you will be blasting out recovery 3D style. Now wait, let me say this differently. Let's do it the big book way. Let's call it what it is. A vision for you, yep, that's you, beyond the telephone, will be blasting out face-to-face recovery 4D style. We at A Vision For You know how to bring this big book to life. Do not miss what may possibly be the single most exciting life-changing experience. There'll be speakers, entertainment, and fellowship. Something happens when we come together. It's electric for everyone. Enrich your recovery, jumpstart recovery, get abstinent, pay it forward, whatever your flavor. Simply follow the laughter. Join us. Further details for registration and reservations for this convention weekend can be found on our website at www.avisionforyou.info. Consider this. Print out the convention flyer and invite a dozen of your closest family and friends. But get excited. We sure are. Now let's return to this morning's very special presentation. And back to you, Leah. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, May 7, 2017. The share IDs for Friday, May 5th, are for 7 a.m. Eastern Meeting, 9909, and for the 10 a.m. Eastern Meeting, 9910. This morning, A Vision for You presents the family afterward. It's all relative. It's often said nothing in life gives us more joy than relationships, and nothing in life challenges us more than relationships. Relationships are our ultimate challenge for the same reason that they are our ultimate joy. Relationships, especially with family members, are about growing, changing, expanding, and giving. They are about showing unselfishness and love. This process, when sincerely engaged in, challenges every fiber of our being. No role can catalyze inner growth more than the roles of spouse, parent, child, or friend. When we were in our active disease of compulsive overeating, we created circumstances due to our selfishness and self-centeredness, which wrought all kinds of damage. Yes, there is a long period of reconstruction ahead. 
The family afterward describes the many challenges and readjustments facing the family of the recovered alcoholic. There are new skills of communication and compromise to develop and new attitudes to practice. Joining us this morning to speak on this very topic are four recovered compulsive overeaters. Our first speaker, Leslie W. from Tennessee, then Shannon S. from New York, Sharon R. S. from Minnesota, and Katie F. from Virginia are all with us on the line this morning. So let's get started with our first panelist, Leslie W. Good morning. Good morning, Leah. This is Leslie W. Can you hear me okay? Very well. Thank you. Great. Thank you so much for your service. I'm so grateful for your dedicated service on this line, Leah. I learned so much from you. Um, I'm just going to begin with the third step prayer just for a second. God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties so that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. Amen. Okay, I'm so honored today um, to have been asked to share my experience, strength, and hope um, on this topic. So I'm going to begin on page 127, the third paragraph. Since the home has suffered more than anything, it is well that a man exert himself there. He is not likely to get far in any direction if he fails to show unselfishness and love under his own roof. Yep, okay. So um, this particular passage is really what I want to drill down upon this morning because I ignored this warning early on in my recovery. Um, And I'll just give you a little bit of information about me because I'm fairly new to the vision line. And um, so basically, um, I started listening to Vision for You in the summer, early summer, late spring of last year. Um, I have been in the rooms since early 2010. So, um, you know, in the beginning, what I did was bury myself in meetings. Um, I spent a lot of time with other compulsive overeaters because that's where I felt safe. Um, I really neglected, and I'm going to focus mostly on my relationship with my husband, because I really neglected his needs. Um, I caused a lot of damage in that area of my life. Um, (laughs) You know, this has been a hard road, like it is for most of us, and like it is, you know, it's not not as if I woke up one day and said, I want to be a compulsive overeater today. you know, things kind of started to really unravel for me. Um, my my disease began to uh, rear its ugly head uh, in late 2009, early 2010, which is when I first came into the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous. I had no experience with 12-step programs whatsoever. 
Um, I knew nothing about them. Even though I came from a family of compulsive overeaters, um, there was no talk of that. So the way I viewed my husband at that time when I first came into program was really uh, less of a lover and a husband, more of a paycheck, um, a babysitter, um, you know, uh, someone to help me with with all of my problems. Um, he was my higher power for a long time. Um, and I really didn't fully understand how much damage that I had done to our marriage. You know, I really tried, I really, I had, I had great intentions, like another person on the line shares a lot. You know, I had really good intentions to be a certain way with him. Um, and I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to pull any punches this morning. I'm just going to be real and honest. I'm just going to be myself because, I mean, I'm not, you know, I've been recovered um, since uh, early fall of last year. But I'm still new at this. You know, I'm still learning, and I still have a lot to learn. But what I want to share is that, you know, the damage I did to my marriage specifically in the area of intimacy, okay. Um, you know, he kept telling me. He kept telling me, Leslie, um, I need you, Leslie. Um, I'm here, Leslie. Pay attention to me, um, Leslie. Don't neglect my needs. You know, you're you're hurting me. He kept trying to tell me. And I either ignored him because I was too face down in the food to be able to. I just couldn't deal with it. Life was just too much, and I could not deal with it. I could not deal with 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 his needs. So so he got he got put on the back burner. Okay, um, he really did for many many years. My husband and I have been married this June for fifteen years, and I have neglected his needs in that specific area probably for the majority of those years even in the rooms even in you know even while I was trying to get trying 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 to get recovered you know all that time for the past seven years you know I've been on this recovery journey um and so I kept making promises to him I kept saying okay yeah you know, I'll do better. I, I, you know, I know, I know, I know, I need to do better. Um, but what I, what I was really saying was, just give me a little bit more time. Just, just let me, just let me take advantage and let me manipulate this area of our life, and of, and and let me strip away your your manhood for a little bit longer, so that um, so that I don't have to face this. So that I don't have to deal with this. Because you're just another person who needs something from me, right? You know? Uh, little My kids, my friends, the people at the church, my parents. I mean, you name it. 
You, every everybody needs something, right? And you just want the one more person on my list that I have to that I have to please, right? So for me, that's you know, I just I just wanted a free pass from him in the bedroom. I really did. I wanted a free pass because guess what? I was I was I was I was sexually abused as a late teenager. All right, and the reason I say that. Is because I know there's a lot of people out on the line who have suffered abuse. And that bled into my marriage. I thought that I could keep that part hidden and secret and it wouldn't affect anything, right? That's, that's, not, the, that's not the case. It bled over into every area of my life. And for me, being vulnerable and truly giving of myself to my husband was the most the scariest thing to me. And I have to say that I wanted him to give me that free pass because of what happened to me. And I also punished him because of what happened to me. It wasn't his fault, but I punished him by withholding my, my intimacy, my body from him, right? My, my affection from him in the most beautiful way. It's supposed to be something that's supposed to be sacred and beautiful. I, I twi- it was all twisted for me. It was all manipulated. And the food was all a part of that, right? Because I would eat late at night because I would, I would, I would abuse my body because, because I hated my body. I mean, I, I used food as a weapon. I'm a compulsive overeater. I'm a true compulsive overeater. I crossed that line a long time ago. So I saw myself as a victim of of my circumstances. And this underlying belief affected and shadowed everything in in our marriage. All right, so all this was going on, and I was was still working the steps. And when I came in in 2010, I began to work the steps. I got a sponsor, and I began to work the steps. And I... And I meandered, and I took my time, and I just didn't understand the importance of working the steps quickly and efficiently, right? So I had relapse after relapse after relapse. I would, I would, I was like, I was like Wiley the Coyote. I would run, and then I would stop. Step three, relapse. Step four, relapse. Step seven and eight, relapse. Step nine, relapse. So that was me, um, and and. And what happened for for me, the turning point in our marriage, what happened was in November of 2015, my husband sat me down at our kitchen table, and it was like a bomb dropped on me. On me. He said, I'm not happy in our marriage anymore, Leslie. Uh, everything else comes in, and I'm surprised that it took him that long. Everything in our, Everything has come before me. In our either your program or our kids or your 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 emotional instability your you know your health issues your this your that everything everything and I'm tired sick and tired of it. He wanted he wanted out. I mean I truly believe in that moment he really wanted out and he was done. He was done with the words. He was done with the promises. He was done with the good intentions. He was just done. 
Now, um, back to the big book, 127. We know there are difficult wives and families, but the man who is getting over alcoholism must remember he did much to make him so. I did much to make this situation the case. I did much to make my husband the way that he is, the way that he was, okay? Now, I'm not assuming all responsibility. He's, he's, he's an adult. He's in charge of himself. But what I'm saying here is that I set that ball rolling. And even though I didn't want to see it, he, he forced me. My husband sat down and forced me to see the damage that I had done to him. Living with my husband at that time was very difficult. Um, he was cold. He was uncaring. He was unloving. He spoke unkind words to me. And I'm not going to get into all the specifics because it's not important. I'm sure you can imagine what, what that was like. The worst part of it all was the neutrality of it, you know, because I could deal with the anger. I could deal, I mean, it was scary. The rage was definitely scary, but but to me, the, the neutrality, the, the I can take you or leave you, Leslie, kind of attitude was was to me the most painful of all. And that's what I experienced. Now, I'm going to turn this around, and I'm going to try to wrap up here and say a couple of important things um, before I finish. Uh, page 128, top of page 128, says giving rather than getting will become the guiding principle. So at that point, I had a choice to make. Um, you know, yeah, he was resistant. Yeah, he was neglectful and re- rejected me at this point. But what had I done? What had I? What was my part? What, what, what did I do to set this ball rolling? Right? I did a lot. I did a, I did a lot? Right? I neglected him. I neglected him a long time. I neglected his needs, and that was selfish. It was extremely selfish and manipulative. No matter the reasons why, I can give you a thousand reasons why I pick up. I can give you a thousand reasons why I did what I did. But it doesn't change the consequences. So I began praying the resentment prayer and the ninth step in men's prayer to my spouse every single day. I pulled all the kids' toys out of a toy closet out of a out of a closet in our in our downstairs and I turned it into a little prayer closet and every morning I went in there. And I said the resentment prayer from page one, page 552, from the freedom of bondage. God, I have a resentment towards my husband that I want to be free of. This is what I would pray every morning. So I'm asking you to give him everything I want for myself. Help me to feel compassionate and understanding. Help me to feel compassionate, understanding, and love for him. I pray that he will receive everything he needs. Thank you, God, and help me to remember the wrongdoing of others has the power to kill me, real or not. Help me to understand that he is spiritually sick. Help me to avoid, perhaps spiritually sick, help me to avoid retaliation or argument. And that was a big one. Help me to show him the same tolerance, patience, and pity I would grant a sick friend. In addition to saying that prayer, I also said the prayers from the big book, page 82, the amends prayer to my spouse. God, please show me how to make amends to my husband. Help me to keep his well-being uppermost in my mind as I try with your grace to make this relationship right. Please show me how to find patience, tolerance, kindness, and love in my heart, mind, and soul. Lord, show me how to demonstrate these principles uh, to my family and all of those about me today. 
And the last prayer I would pray, and Leah, you tell me when my time is up, okay, was uh, page 69, and yes, it is page 69, the sex and men's prayer. I would pray, God, help me to be free of fear as I attempt to shine the spotlight of truth across my past sex relations. God, please show me where my behavior has harmed others, namely my husband, and help me to see the truth these relationships hold for me. Help me to see where I had been at fault and what I should do differently today. Father, please help me to mold my sex ideals and help me to live up to them. Help me to be willing to grow towards my ideals and help me to be willing to make amends where I have done harm. So I, I, I completely, oh God, I wouldn't say I, God completely gave me the ability to disregard my husband's behavior at this time. And I focused on my part. I focused on um, what I could do to change the temperature of our marriage and our relationship. And it was extremely painful. And I said those prayers every day through gritted teeth for a while. Um, But then slowly but surely things started to improve. Um, I started to... He started. I started to do nice things. I started to be of service to my husband every day because God changed me. God changed me in this area of my life. He he really did. It and and he restored my marriage. And it started as, hey, can I fix you a cup of coffee this morning, or can I bring you a lunch? I bring you dinner because I know you're working late. That's that's how it started. We became friends again, and then slowly over time, lovers. So so. Um, yeah, so in, in conclusion, um, I submitted myself, um, to what I felt God would have me to be and, and he healed and restored my marriage and he still is healing and restoring my marriage. Um, we celebrate 15 years. Of marriage this year and we have two beautiful little boys seven and three and we're taking a trip together in June and I have to say that two years ago had you told me that we would still be together and and be happy and you know going on trips together and this is a man who didn't even want to be in the same room with me um, I would have said you're crazy but you know what um, God God makes all things possible, and through this program, um, my marriage and, and my life has been completely changed. So thank you for letting me share this morning, and I pass. Thank you very much, Leslie W. And now I introduce Shannon S. to the line. Good morning, Leah. Good morning, everybody. This is Shannon S. Can I be heard? Yes, very well. Thank you. Wonderful. Good morning, everybody. This is Shannon S., a gratefully recovered compulsive overeater in New York. Um, I'm just I'm very humbled and, and honored to be here. Thank you all for being here. Um, let me set my timer here. Okay. Um, I came into program about five years ago. And um, at that time, my life was very, very different, as I'm sure most people can attest to in sharing their story. 
um, I was I was married, and I had three small children. They were about five, two and a half, and infant. Um, and you know, on on page one twenty three, it it talks about um, it will take time. This is at the last sentence of the second full paragraph. It will take time to clear away the wreck. The old buildings will eventually be replaced by finer ones. The new structures will take years to complete. Well, I didn't get that right when I came to program. I thought that, okay, I come to program and uh, it's going to be a magic wand and, and life is going to be great. And, well, that didn't happen. So I thought, okay, well, once I get abstinent, life will be life will be great. And um, just showing my <laughs> how naive I was, but... Um, it wasn't, and um, I got abstinent, and life got worse, and I got really resentful, um, and and then I felt really broken, too broken, too damaged, and I wanted to erase the past. Um, and on page 124, the end of the first full paragraph. It says, we grow by our willingness to face and rectify errors and convert them into assets. The alcoholic's past thus becomes the principal asset of the family, and frequently it is almost the only one. Oh, man, did I ever feel that. So I came into program. Um, I got abstinent, and um, then I got divorced. It was like I was so disillusioned. You know, God, what the heck is going on? Um, and I love how it talks about in this chapter that we we don't share intimate other people's intimate details, and so that's why I'm going to keep the details of that private. Um, but I felt I felt really really resentful because I felt like um, you know of course I, yeah I had my wrongs, but um, I blamed my husband for for most of the the divorce, and um, so you know I. I was crushed. I was I was so broken and I didn't realize how much I had hurt my husband, um, my ex husband now and my kids. I mean my kids were so small but there were so much damage. Um my oldest was five at the time and we just had oh my gosh, such a brutal relationship, you know. Um on page one thirty four it talks about children cordially hating their parents. And as I look back, it's so sad to me, but I can look back um, and smile because that's not the case today. You know, um, I blamed my daughter. She was five years old. She was a, a baby, practically. I blamed her. I blamed her for the discord between her and I. I thought that there was just something wrong with her because, of course, there couldn't be anything wrong with me. And um, I also blamed her for um, all the tension and the discord between her father and I. And so she was just, um, I couldn't, I, you know, I, I couldn't blame myself because I was not at that place where I could recognize that. And um, it just felt too painful to blame her father. So so I put it all on her, this, this child. You know, I viewed her as, like, as work, as a project. Um, I never really enjoyed her. I constantly resented her. I was always afraid. I was always trying to be perfect with her because I thought that's the only way. You know, I'm too broken. I'm too damaged. And so I have to do this thing perfectly. And she, she, you know, of course I wanted to control everything. She had better respond. You know, I am following the books of every parenting 
um, that we were always butting heads. Um, and, you know, the main thing was I couldn't and wouldn't accept her for who she was, and I couldn't and wouldn't accept me for who I was. And I just remember so many times, I mean, some awful, awful things that I that I did to her and, and said to her. And no wonder we were always at odds. This child didn't feel safe with me. She didn't know if I was going to go off. She didn't know if I was going to hug her and love her. It was you know, it was like landmines, I can only imagine. And um, and by working this program, it took a long time, you know, it, it took a long time to years to reestablish that, the new structures. Um, but man, are they finer. My girl is now 10, she's going to be 11, and um, that child is remarkable. And our relationship has been restored. Um, one of the sweetest times um, I, you know, came into program and meandered and took a while, but thank goodness I found this meeting because I learned about working through the steps according to the big book and working them thoroughly and entire abstinence. Um, and I had the opportunity to make a direct amends to her, and it, it was it was general, it was age appropriate, but she looked at me and she said but mom, you're a really good mom and I love you. But I will tell you that, um, you know, it's only been about a year that she started to say to me, I love you. I I would tell her every day and um, for whatever reason, she couldn't or wouldn't say that. And so now those words are music to my ears because um, I I can tell that, that she means it and we have this safe relationship and, um, she will she will come to me and she will confide in me things that she will say that she's not comfortable to tell anyone else. Um, I really love spending time with her. <laughs> I, I know that I'm at the place, you know, she's kind of going to be 11, so I'm sure that it's coming up here pretty soon that I'm not going to be cool, but um, I will take it when I can get it. And so the other night, I mean, first the miracle of that I can be in the kitchen with her the other night and be making these cookies for a school project and know that it's not my food, that I'm not obsessing about the food, and I'm able to focus on her and our time together is a miracle. And um, that during that time, she's sharing things with me about her life. She's sharing things with me about her friends. And... Um, and we we're dancing and singing in the kitchen, and and she wants to do that with me, and I can let her be her. We now have some jokes now um, about how mom mom can can get a little crazy sometimes, and that um and and that she can get a little crazy too. And now now we can laugh about it, and just really appreciate where where each other are. And I had a very beautiful experience with her not too long ago. I was um, finishing my nightly review on the couch and she came in and um, said, hey, what are you doing? And and I've been very open um, specifically with her because she's my oldest um, in an age-appropriate way about my disease. And um, so she understands to some extent. And I, I told her what I was doing with my nightly review that every night I look and see where I've been selfish and dishonest and afraid and what I could do better. And um, this little girl with these wise eyes look look right up at me and she says, um, wow, Mom, that's really courageous. Most people wouldn't even think about that stuff, let alone admit it. That's really awesome. 
And I thought, thank you, God. Thank you, God, is that this disease that I thought that was going to bring me down, and it did bring me down, and it did bring my family down, but now it is my principal asset because I have the opportunity to be God's vessel and to show her and my other children um, a different way, a better way, the design for living that really works. And whichever way they go, um, whether it's 12-step or not, um, God will have imparted some of that onto them. And that's only because um, I found this program. And thank goodness for God's promises that that come true, um, that he does for me what I could not do for myself through working the steps. Um, yesterday, my, my younger daughter is eight. And um, yesterday I was sitting with her at lunch uh, she turned eight a few weeks ago, and I do something called birthday dates. And so we go out for lunch and, and do what they want to do. And she's eight, so she wanted to shop. So um, we were sitting there talking, and I it just flashed back to three years ago on her birthday or when we went on her birthday date. And I was so depressed and so in my own head that I was just waiting please let this be over. Please let this be over. And to be able to sit there with her and um, just watch her little personality come out and just watch her color and, and not look to something, whether it's food or some other compulsive behavior, addictive behavior, just to be there present with her and just thanking God, saying, thank you, God. Thank you, God, that I can be here. Thank you for this gift. I get to do this. This is a privilege. This is an honor to be able to be present um, with my children is such, it's beyond my wildest dreams because I, I, they were just, um, a burden to be bared, something to get through. They were not blessings. They were not gifts. And they were certainly not anything that, um, I could, I could let go and enjoy and relax. Um, that also got me thinking, um, about three years ago, I was hospitalized for two weeks for um, depression and anxiety. And so um, my my kiddos were about seven, five, and three. And so um, at that point, um, I was divorced for a few years, and they spent two weeks with their father when they had only spent maybe two days with him um, consecutively in the past. And um, I, that was a place where I really broke. And... Um, I think to some degree, especially my oldest, she felt um, abandoned. Um, on page 133, it um, says, we who have recovered from serious drinking are miracles of mental health. I came out of that hospital, and I didn't know if I could care for my kids. I could only take one child at a time for like a few hours. I thought, you know, I was told apply for disability from work, um, make sure you have your parents there when, when you have your kids, um, you know, this visitation schedule, this might totally change, um, you may not be able to regain custody of them, and I thought, oh my gosh, and I thought, again, I went back to, I'm too broken, I'm too damaged, I can't be a mom, there's never going to be a man that uh, will want to marry me. And I sit here today so humbled and so grateful that 
I have three beautiful children. I am remarried to an amazingly wonderful man. I have two stepchildren. I am working. Um, I'm actually at, in the process of being promoted at work. Um, and I'm not saying that this is me. This is God doing for me what I could not do for myself. And so after that that time, um, I really had to, again, rebuild that foundation. I had to rebuild that trust, especially of my oldest. Um, that was also a turning point in my relationship with my ex as well. Um, we always had a very combative, resentful, competitive relationship. I blamed him for everything. Um, and uh, when I first came into the program, I became that religious enthusiast uh, that's talked about on page 128. You know, I thought I had arrived, like Bill says in his story on page three. You know, I got it. And so I was out to, you know, convert everybody and impart this wisdom onto everybody. And um, what happened? My husband just pulled away. You know, he he was so hurt. And so then it, he thought, well, who are you to tell me what the heck um, I should be doing? And um, the resentment prayers um, really changed my heart. Doing that fourth and fifth step, it was very amazing that um, for, you know, my ex-husband that I had blamed so much, he was the person that I was most easily able to come up with my wrongs towards, and I had the most wrongs towards him, interestingly enough. Um, And... Gosh, I remember early in our marriage, I dropped a can in the kitchen. I went off. I mean, I had a big anger problem, and he looked at me, um, kind as could be, clear as day, and he said, you know, Shannon, that when you do that, that impacts everybody, and that really hurts me. And I I remember that. That was, you know, that was probably, oh, my gosh, 15 years ago. And um, it's a miracle now that my current husband looked at me yesterday and says, you know, you're a really great wife. And I'm like, a great wife? How in the world can I be a great wife? It's because I'm not being a great wife. I'm just doing my best. I'm trudging. I'm muddling through some days. But you know what? I'm doing my best to maintain my, my spiritual fitness. And in We Agnostics, it says that if we earnestly seek God, if we diligently try to follow his path, he, we will seek him. And that's a promise. There's so many promises in this book. Um, and just to start wrapping up here is um, when I made my amends to my ex-husband was a huge turning point. It was almost like he was shocked, you know. Um, and I, that was for the first time I looked at him. I was sitting on the couch uh, in his home, and I looked at him, and um, I looked at him just like that resentment prayer says, you know, he's spiritually sick. Help me to show him the same tolerance, pity, and patience. I would cheerfully grant a sick friend. And I looked on him with compassion. And now we have a better relationship now than we ever have. And we're still not married. And it's been five years. And there's been a lot of stuff that's gone down since. But um, that's when I felt the shift. And that's when I could really start treating him with compassion. And that's when um, the hatred and the bitterness was replaced with um tolerance and love and empathy and I can see him as a person now and I can be grateful for his good qualities but I can also set boundaries there and so we just have again a relationship I hear people tell horror stories and no my situation is certainly not ideal but 
I am so blessed that he and I can sit in the same room. We can sit at the same table. We just sat together at the spring concert at my kid's school. And we can do that because we have the same goal is to be there for our children. And we can look at each other as people now and not rivals and not objects and not be um, some of our of our illnesses, but as people, you know, sick people trying to get well. And um, it's all because of this program and only because of this program. So I thank you all for being here and thank you for the honor and privilege to share. I pass. Thank you very much, Shannon S. from New York. I now welcome Sharon R. S. from Minnesota to the line. Sharon, star one to unmute. Good morning, good morning, good morning. This is Sharon RS, and I'm so grateful to be on the line with you this morning. Hi, uh, talking about the family afterward. I, um, uh, there, I, I um, was uh, telling someone that I, uh, as, as, um, uh, I was listening that, um, uh, I'm sitting here at the play field watching my daughter play soccer, and this person this person said, "Wow, that's that's sure talking about the family afterward," because uh, uh, I had to drive her way out here, and and uh, this is life. This is the family afterward, um, uh, living the life and um, doing our duties and our responsibilities with love and tolerance and kindness. Um, I was, a couple of days ago, I was looking at some pictures, and uh, one was a picture of me when I was single. And I was laughing, I was, um, I, I had a bright smile. It was a very nice picture. The, and then I looked at another picture. It was me after I was married, and I had a couple of kids. I looked miserable, miserable. Even the way I had done my hair was like I was trying to hide. I had a big bang, and it was almost like I wanted. I looked like I wanted to disappear. And when I looked at both of those pictures, my first thought was. I made a mistake by marrying this man. I am worse off married to him. And, you know, if he were different, then the light wouldn't be going out of me the way it is. And um, and so I want to start there. And, and um, uh, as I look at the family afterwards, we're looking at um, what it's like after we have recovered. Uh, and I'm going to get back to my story in a minute. But perhaps they created the impression, it says on page 122, first paragraph, that he is to be wrapped in cotton wool and placed on a pedestal. Um, and then, uh, but it says successful readjustment means the opposite. So we're readjusting to to life in sobriety with our families. Uh, before we were in the food, now we are 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 recovered. We've gone through all the steps, 
How then shall we live? It says all members of the family should meet upon the common ground of tolerance, understanding, and love. And um, that um, those words, tolerance, understanding, and love, we saw uh, on page 84 it, uh, when it talks about uh, in the uh, third, second par- full paragraph, it says, we have entered the world of the spirit. So we're recovered now. We are in the world of the spirit. Our next function is to grow in understanding. Understanding, there's that word. We're to grow in understanding. And effectiveness. Effectiveness is, you know, how we um, act in the world is in a way that creates positive change. That's effectiveness. So we are to grow in understanding. Just um, uh, knowing more, understanding, more about how people feel, uh, how people are, how they think, what they need, uh, how we can help them, what our higher power wants and needs from us, who we are, uh, what makes us tick, what causes problems, where are we uh, generating problems. These are all understanding, growing in understanding. To understand is, uh, to be able to understand means that we uh, change. We we are not the same. Um, it means that we are willing to accept that we were wrong before or, or we didn't know before, and that now we know. So it, it's a, there's a movement. Uh, there's a difference. So we, we are continually growing, changing, modifying, based on increased knowledge, wisdom, insight, understanding. It says we have entered the world of the spirit. We're no longer in the world of make-believe or the world of fantasy. We're no longer in the, uh, in the world that other people really, you know, uh, live in. So we don't, no need to be self-seeking and trying to, uh, you know, get what others have because we are in a different place when we recover. We don't recover to the old life. We recover to a new life. These are the things that I have learned and, and um, have made by understanding these things and accepting these things. It has made my life remarkably. Uh, it's just amazing, the change, the transformation. Our next function is to grow in understanding and effectiveness now that we're in the world of the spirit. And this is not an overnight matter. It should continue for our lifetime. So just buckle down for change. It's not going to ever be yesterday is just like, I mean, to, um, yesterday is just like today. Today is just like, you know, it was before. Every day there's a measure of change, and, and that's uh, accepting that. And we're watching for all the, our character defects just don't disappear because we are sober they're still there, and we and they're still affecting people. 
And But what we want is positive effect on people and not the negative effect of, you know, that that happens when people experience our selfishness and our dishonesty and our resentment and then our fears. These are going to bleed over and into uh, the people in our lives and in our relationships. Um, it, you know, it says here on page 84, we have, we have ceased fighting anything or anyone. And I find that when I want to fight um, or engage in fighting with my husband or children that um, I'm outside of the spirit. I'm, 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 I've hooked into, uh, I, I've left the spirit and I cannot live as in recovery and be recovered if I'm not in the world of the spirit. And so the world of the spirit requires first and foremost that I am present, I am breathing, and I am trusting my higher power. I am being aware of how my actions are affecting other people. So back to um, 122, page 122, all members of the family should meet upon the common ground of tolerance, understanding, and love. And and um, I always have to remind myself that I'm the one. And actually, if I don't remind myself, my fellows do, that, uh, you know, you're the one in recovery. And I have to remember that. My family uh, is, is not... In, in my case, I'm the only one in the 12-step program. And they don't all really understand what we do in the rooms. They don't know. They haven't experienced the pain of, of addiction and the challenges of recovery. But what I have encountered is that um, uh, in my... Um, my i my expectations my my desire my my belief was that my family should be a place of comfort my family should be fueling fueling me my family should be uh like a warm blanket and um soothing and helpful and the truth is I'm the mother, and I'm the adult in the room. I'm the one in recovery. So my family doesn't understand selfishness, self-seeking, resentment, and fear. And I can't teach them those things uh, immediately. I can't, uh, and, and, and quite honestly, as a woman, um, my family is looking for me to serve and to give. Now, I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but their expectation is that regardless of the fact that I uh, have recovered or not, they they have expectations of me and um, to, to comfort and to serve and to give and to um, help and to provide and so they're expecting these things of me. 
but then and then here I am expecting them, and I can't expect them from my children. So I'm expecting them from my husband. I want him to to be uh, to provide that cotton wool and and uh, and place me on a pedestal. But the truth is, when I was in my disease, my husband had to had to step up and um, uh, do a lot. He had to take the reins. He had to suffer uh, my my um, uh, delusional thinking uh, about about life and what I should have and shouldn't have. He had to um, be yelled at because he wouldn't stop the car so I could get my binge food. He had to see me in a stupor or unable to take care of the kids because I had eaten things that I was allergic to and I was ill or in the emergency room because I couldn't breathe and uh, because, again, I had eaten something that had caused an allergic reaction. So um, when I got recovered, his expectations were that I would help him. And, um, uh, you know, that, oh, now she's better and now I can, um, you know, just play the role that I've been given. And um, so um, uh, here again on page 122, it talks about the process of deflation. Deflation. Uh, we are, uh, deflation means to, you know, get down to, to from a puffed up place uh, and to release, uh, to release the hot air, to, to, to decrease in size. To, to decrease in confidence in ourselves and um, uh, decrease in um, in uh, in, um, in 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 our, our our view of ourselves deflation. So the, this involves a process of deflation, and we can't expect that. Um, we would um, be uh, that our family is going to deflate. Uh, they're not the ones working on it. So we have to lead the way, show by example. Um, and why is it not in, in the, the, uh, the uh, second paragraph says here, uh, and why? It is not because each wants to play the lead. It, it, it is is not each trying to arrange the family show to his liking? Is he not unconsciously trying to see what he can take from the family life rather than give? Uh, the, and, and so just having that perspective, knowing that, that everyone is ill, really, and each is trying to get, and, and we are, as parents, trying to teach in our family, for those of us who have children, we're the teachers, and, and uh, the best way to teach is by example. So we have to uh, uh, be the example and then repeat. And sometimes, you know, uh, it, it, that's why we need each other. We need our herd because we need to find a place where we get filled. And quite honestly, for those of us who are addicts in recovery and have families, we 
Uh, many of us are not going to have someone there to wrap us in cotton wool and, uh, you know, and, and allow us to be in a cocoon uh, until we arrive uh, thin and, and happy. Uh, we are going to have to be living life as we lose weight, living life as we grow in understanding. And, and, we, and, and it's changing, it's moving. So we really need our herd to come together for us. We need to lean upon each other to talk and to support. And, and um, as, as our family heals and becomes renewed uh, themselves, and it's going to take a while because they're going to need to see us and we're going to be changing and moving and making mistakes and, and uh, being imperfect. And, um, but with time, as you know, the other uh, speakers have, have shown us, the changes take place and, and our family becomes convinced that this way of life is, is going to be permanent and it's going to work for us and for them. I want to... Uh, um, just to kind of wrap things up with, uh, and quite honestly, I I lost track of time, but um, I want to look at page 124. There's some just fascinating um, uh, things discussed here. Uh, it says um, that, um, uh, and I just want to read this, um, the, the top of 124, we think that such a view is self-centered and in direct conflict with the new way of living. And that's what I've described. You know, there's that, uh, the, um, uh, when we are selfish and self-seeking and digging up things from the past and can't, can't forgive, these are our old ways and they're in conflict with our new way of living. And we have to constantly uh, breathe into this new life and let go of the old ways, the old expectations, the old desires, and um, and realize that we are new. And that's where the prayer and meditation and uh, fellowship and meetings and breathing into this new life that we are different and our 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 family are still where they were and they're still dancing with the old us. And we've got to allow time for them to learn the new moves. Uh, page 124, we grow at the end of uh, the first paragraph, the very last uh, two sentences. We grow by our own, by our willingness to face and rectify errors and convert them into assets. So not to run from the errors, but to face them, face the fact that my daughter is angry and you know, I've made some mistakes. Uh, some of it is just her being 16 and thinking she knows it all. God help me. And uh, and then some of it is um, because I've made mistakes. But, it, um, okay, so let me face that. I've made some mistakes. How do I rectify the harm that I've done to my daughter, uh, to my husband, to my son? Uh, the it says, uh, and convert them into assets. So it's not by running. It's not by holding my breath and thinking it's not happening or wishing it didn't happen or, or regretting, oh, this is blah, blah. But it's, um, it's about uh, the alcoholic's past 
thus becomes the principal asset. So our past becomes the asset. The darkness transforms into the light. So it's like um, coal is created by death, the dying of the animals, and they get compressed in the earth and, and become dark black coal. It gets dug up. It provides heat and light. Uh, oil, even deeper, uh, darker pain, and that is, burns to create more powerful fuel. So as with us, as we face our path, accept the, that others in our family have that same pain and then we allow our, our family to grow and um, just as uh, the painful path, and I'm, gonna, I'm wrapping up here, this painful path may be of infinite value to other families still struggling with their problems. So our family then becomes uh, uh, an asset as a team to show others how life after uh, recovery can be. And we think each family which has been relieved owes something to those who have not. And when the occasion requires, each member of it should be only too willing to bring uh, former mistakes, no matter how grievous, out of their hiding places showing others who suffer how we were given help is the very thing that makes life seem so worthwhile to us now. And so our family will then uh, be uh, giving and serving as a unit. It was us alone, now it's, uh, it was we, uh, me alone, and then it becomes we together uh, serving others. And... Um, uh, as I one final thing with that picture, I realized that the picture of me before marriage, smiley and joyful, was a time when I was in recovery. The other picture of me in misery was I was in the food. It had nothing to do with my husband. He was just there. I was creating my own misery. With that, I pass. Thank you so much, Sharon R.S. And now our fourth panelist, Katie F. from Virginia. Welcome. Good morning, uh, a vision for you. This is Katie F., a recovered compulsive overeater, and I am. Uh, I feel very. Um, <laughs> but these are hard acts to follow. These uh, three panelists have done such a thorough job, and um, as I was preparing for this. Um, I, uh, I have um, been recovered for 29 years. And so to talk for 13 to 15 minutes on all the things that have happened with the family afterwards in, is just impossible. So I um, had it, I believe my higher power led me to just pick out some specific um, lines, which others have used these same lines um, this morning but just to focus in on that because that's our goal here at a vision for you is to bring the big book to life because i don't have to have the same exact experience as someone else um i've never been divorced i you know i i came into uh these 29 years of recovery having been um i came into my marriage having been abstinent for six years 
So my husband and my children do not have a before and after with me. Um, but the fact is they married uh, or, and they're the children of a woman who is an addict. Um, I am recovered today, but I'm not perfect and I'm not cured. So these um, phrases that I'm going to um, bring to life from, from uh, the family afterward, they are things that I have to live out today. In, the, in these years and years into recovery, I still have to refer to this big book and say, how do I get through this? What is God showing me through that? So um, I will say, though, at the beginning, I did fall into this um, section, page 122. We find that the more one member of the family demands that the others concede to him, the more resentful they become. This makes for discord and unhappiness. And, you know, I had been in OA for six years before I got recovered. And so by the time I, I did actually uh, put the food down for the last time, I didn't sh try to shove it down my family's throat, um, my, my sisters and my mother, because they, they were so sick of me talking about, you know, the new abstinence or the new way I was living that I, I just, I couldn't make it a group effort anymore. Um, I had to be willing to do it completely on my own. And so, you know, I didn't make it their responsibility to keep me abstinent. And, you know, that served me very well, has served me very well over these years because I'm very independent about my um, abstinence. I don't um, rely and uh, lay blame on others if things aren't going my way. You know, I don't expect everybody to understand why I do what I do. Um, it, that is not their responsibility. And um, so that has served me very well. Um, and they did get abstinent. Um, one of my sisters was in recovery for 10 years and then decided she wasn't a compulsive reader and she walked away. Um, my other two sisters <clears throat> basically followed the physical part of the program and um, didn't do the rest of it. And they, I don't think they're compulsive readers. And, <clears throat> and same with my mother. And now, you know, I'm able to live in harmony with them. I don't question their eating and they don't question mine and we live in harmony. And that's, that's amazing because, you know, <laughs> we are people who want people to agree with us. And that's certainly the way I am. Um, then on the top of page 123, there will be alluring shortcuts and bypass down which they may wander and lose their way. And that's basically what happened. You know, they all looked for an easier, softer way, and I had to let them go. And now I have um, four children. And, um, you know, they, they are not compulsive readers. And I don't try to make them eat the way I do. I don't try to tell them that, um, you know, all the, I'm not like this fanatical health nut with them. Um, I, I have neutrality, and that's what is the amazing thing to me, is the neutrality that I have with my family, you know, whereas it used to be that they um, brought so much um, anxiety, and, you know, I had to have everybody agree with me. Everybody had to agree with me, or I could not be peaceful, and I am able to live today without that um, rubber stamp 
from the world. And, you know, I'm so grateful for that. Um, so then at the top of page 125, it says, so we think that unless some good and useful purpose is to be served, past occurrences should not be discussed. And so as it is, um, as God would have it, the last three years, um, you know, as all of us in A Vision for You, we're, we're just digging and digging and digging into the big book. And I did a big book study um, separate from, you know, Vision for You and, and rewrote the um, seven-step prayer to, you know, include my specific character defects. And um, what I just have seen God showing me is just that I don't have to make everybody understand, just like I was just saying, you know, and that I have learned and am able without gritting my teeth, biting my tongue, biting my cheek, you know, snorting, uh, stomping my foot, doing anything, um, having my blood pressure go up, heavy breathing, anything when someone is saying something that is making me crazy, that in the past would make me crazy. I am able to just look at them and say, oh, or say absolutely nothing when, when, um, Somebody wants to bring up something that, you know, is very hurtful, is very um, controversial, um, is uh, just something that I, I just don't agree with. And so how it has been for the last um, six months is my mother, who's 89, and my sister, who's turned 65 today, have been living with us. And, you know, I could not have done that a couple of years ago. I could not have coexisted with them in my house 24-7 um, for six months um, a few years ago. And, you know, this work has given me the ability to, you know, even though my mother brings up things and, and her memory of them is so different from mine, you know, I have not taken this as an opportunity to say, well, mom, you know, really, blah, 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 blah. I, I have not um, taken the bait to set her straight on why I think that I did the things that I did and or to unload myself on her and tell her that um, the things that I was really doing when she thought I was doing something else. You know, it's, that is not how the 12 steps work and that is not how it is supposed to be with my family. I don't have to um, have, you know, I don't get to unload my burdens on them so that I feel better and they feel worse. And, you know, these, um, the big book just assures me that that is, in fact, the way I'm supposed to live, that I'm not supposed to uh, make myself feel better at the expense of others. And I think that is hardest with your family, you know, especially someone like me, who was the youngest. And I'm still the youngest, you know, who I uh, pulled the wool over their eyes. They had no idea the misery I was in. I was not morbidly obese. So they didn't realize um, how depressed I was, how unhappy I was. And it's not my job now to make sure they understand that. Because what good would that do? That would only make them feel worse. And so, you know, God has just given me an opportunity to show love, tolerance, and um, kindliness. And that um, brings me to um, 
the next one, which is page 127, the second paragraph, he is not likely to get far in any direction if he, if he fails to show unselfishness and love under his own roof. And, you know, I've had to learn that the hard way um, because, you know, I could be on all day and then I come home and, you know, the evening time can be the worst time for anybody. You know, it's the worst time for a baby. It's the worst time for, um, it's just, it's just a bad time of day. Every, anybody can attest to that. And it's not because I'm working my program wrong. It's not because I'm, you know, doing something. It's just human nature that we're tired at the end of the day. But I have shifted my thinking that, um, and I think part of it is because I work in a law firm and all we do is divorce. And I see over and over and over again that people, normal people, not addicts, but normal people are putting everyone else ahead of their own family. And, you know, I have learned from that that, no, my husband is the one who I'm going to be spending the rest of my life with. I don't want to um, treat him like dirt and treat, you know, my sponsees and my sponsor and, you know, everyone on a vision for you and uh, the grocery clerk and, uh, my boss and everyone else with love and tolerance, but then treat, you know, one little thing goes wrong and I'm um, blowing up at my family. And, you know, this is not, this is not a before and after thing. This is, you know, I'm a human being and uh, when we make mistakes, it's not if, it's when, you know, we do make mistakes and, but I don't have to live in those mistakes today. And every day is an opportunity to turn it around. Um, and then that brings us to page 128. Uh, giving rather than getting will become the guiding principle. You know, and in this time with my uh, mother and my sister here, I mean, it is, it is getting a little bit tense because we're coming to the end of it. You know, I did have a hard time with my mother um, a week and a half ago. I, I just was so frustrated because she kept talking about other people <laughs> and, and I just would not agree with her. And, you know, she didn't like it. And I had to say, I am not, I do not want to talk about other people. I do not think that is right. And uh, she didn't like it, you know, it's very tense. Um, but I turned my attention to just being kind and loving. And it's amazing how, when I treat people the way I want to be treated, they soften and they, um, they give it up. And, you know, that has happened over and over and over again in my um, marriage. My husband is the nicest person in the world. So <laughs> it's always me who's having to apologize. He's, I mean, I have been so blessed to have someone who is so loving and <laughs> kind Um blows my mind but um you know I'm the one who has to apologize and if I kept focused on the negative whatever it is me not getting my way things not being exactly how I think they should be because you know in one of these paragraphs now I lost my um, spot it talks about how we want to be the directors and we want to um we want everybody to do what we want them to do and, you know, life is just not like that. Recovered or not, people are not going to do what I want them to do when I want them to do it. They're just not. 
and I have to learn to accept life on life's terms and to choose my battles and all these phrases that we learn um, in recovery as parents, as spouses, and, you know, it really works. Um, and then just to wrap up, because we've been, um, I know the listeners have been listening for a long time, is um, first things first, live and let live, easy does it. That's at the end of the chapter on page 135. Um, and, you know, that's what I do every day is I, I wake up in the morning and I say, what is the most important thing I need to do today? Because I can get caught up in my to-do list and, you know, and then that pushes me into wanting to manage the whole show, wanting to manage all the people around me and make them do what I want them to do. And, you know, I keep things um, simple, easy does it. I, if there's some major thing that I need to get done, you know, with my mother and my sister being here, um, there's things around the house that I want to get done that I just don't feel like doing when I get home at night with anyway. Um, and so I do them at six o'clock in the morning, you know, when everybody's still asleep, I'm out there digging in the yard, you know, if that's what it takes for me to be serene and, you know, God gives me the willingness and um, I just keep showing up and I'm really grateful. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you so much, Katie F. Thanks to all our panelists for illuminating Chapter 9 through your personal experience and insights with all of us this morning. The panelists' contact information will be given at the conclusion of this recording, so stay tuned for that. We're now going to transition into a question and answer segment and a request to keep questions perhaps more general rather than specific family situations, which might be best discussed on a one-on-one -on -one phone conversation. You can press star 1 to unmute to identify yourself if you'd like to ask a question this morning. Allison L. Good morning, Allison. Anyone else? Matt M. Matt M. All right, well, let's get started with Allison L. Thank you, Leah, for your service. Thank you so much to all of the panelists. I got so much from today's um, shares. This is Allison L., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Ohio. And um, my question that I'd like to ask, I had two. Let me narrow it down. Okay, I will go with this one. This one comes up a lot when I'm talking to other people. So um, I would love to hear from any or all of the panelists on balance. Balancing program, balancing life, balancing responsibilities, family, parenting, um, relationships. I hope that's clear. Thank you so much. Thank you, Allison. Which of our panelists would like to respond, please? This is KDF. I'll respond to that. Please go um, ahead. Um, well, I think that's pretty general because you're talking, I mean, so I guess one thing that I think comes up a lot is phone calls. You know, people um, get complaints from their family that they're always on the phone. And so, you know, I do try to balance that. I do um, make my phone calls when I'm in my car. I take my phone calls for sponsees when, you know, it's not a family time. You know, I don't take them at five o'clock and six o'clock at night when, it's dinner time and um, 
And so I think that I do have to respect the boundaries of, um, of being present for my family. But I also, you know, my family does, at least my husband does value why I do what I do. And, um, you know, if we're on a long drive or even a 30 minute drive, I'll say, I'm going to make a phone call now. And he says, okay, you know, so, um, I guess the answer is that I, I, what I just shared is that we be respectful of other people, but I also can't be a doormat. I have to do what I need. I, I need to take care of my recovery. Thanks, Katie. Any other panelists want to respond to? This is Shannon. Shannon, go ahead. Um, thanks, Allison, for your question. And um, I know as moms and wives, uh, this is at least something that um, every mom and wife that I talk to in program and out of program is something that um, they, you know, kind of go back and forth and struggle with, and myself included. Um, for me, being really organized is really important um, with five children and job and you know, family and husband and, and things like that, um, I really have to be efficient with my time. And um, I talk with my kids and my husband and um, kind of ask, like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm if I know I'm going to need to make a few phone calls, like, when would be a good time? You know, when, when do you think we're going to have dinner? Um, and then block out that time. And I actually literally will silence my phone or just turn it right off. Um, but I've also explained to them is that um, I know that it may seem like I'm, you know, not being present for you, but if I don't do this work, I cannot be anything for you. Um, and thankfully, my kids have adjusted and my husband is amazing and I was in program when I met him. So um, this is just something like it's not a change. It's, it's always been. And, um, you know, I I just planned for it. Um and I also get up early in the morning and do a lot of my calls before people are awake um, or do it in the evening or if my husband's going to be out, then I will try to plan it around there. But just like Katie said is that at the end of the day, um, I, I need to do this work. And just so, for example, this morning, you know, I have talked to my husband a while back when I first got the um, invite to share here. And so we just kind of talked through a plan of how this is going to work. And right now, you know, he's managing four children and getting ready for church and, and things like that. But this is something that he chose um, to do because he knows that I need this to stay healthy. And um, I then will also make accommodations for uh, what he needs to. So we just really look at it as a partnership. And some days it's like muddling through, you know, and some days I just need to lock my bedroom doors and say, okay, kids, I need 30 minutes. But um, it, it's it's not always pretty, but <laughs> do your best to make it work. Thank you. Thanks, Shannon. Thanks, Allison L., for the question. Matt M., your turn. Can you hear me, Leah? I can. Okay, since we're talking, you know, we're talking about the family afterward. Um, I I don't have much family, but I have some close friends. And recently, I just had a relationship, and the person had a they they had to protect the recovery. I didn't realize how out of control I was being with my behavior, or just being so um, suffocating towards them. And basically, I was putting all my emotional um, support. I was trying to get all my emotional sobriety from them. And it was too much for them. What do you do when you have a relationship that's been going on for years? It just ends. Because right now I kind of feel like I'm in limbo. I don't know what to do with these emotions and these feelings that have resentment coming up. I feel a little loneliness. And uh, 
I I did pick up over it twice already. I don't want to pick up over this anymore. Thanks, Matt. Who would like to respond? I can I can speak to that a little bit. Um, Sharon, thank I, you. Okay, I um, it you remember one page one twenty four, and um, we're in the family afterward here. The painful path may be of infinite value uh, to other families still struggling with their problems, but this also applies to us as individuals. And um, and uh, uh, we we will get the uh, family we crave. We we, we uh, read that in uh, vision for you. Uh, uh, at the in in uh, at the end of the book, we will get we will find that family, and uh, it's it's all of our natural desire to be a part of to to find our herd and our fellows. Um, when you come from being in the food into recovery, uh, many of us found that the friends that and relationships that we had found when we were in the food, were really unhealthy. And some of them just naturally fell away. And um, our, that's why we need our fellowship. And if you're not in a place where, you know, if all your fellowship is on the phone, then you press into those phone conversations and those phone relationships. And um, if you allow your relation, the the, the the people that you need in your life to come to you. Um, I've been in recovery. Um, I've been in the rooms for 25 years. I've been in recovery for 15 years. One of the things I've learned is patience. And, um, you know, we are now when, uh, when you, uh, and doing what I'm told. And, and if you find that herd within the rooms, because they are like-minded people, that just like a family that are traveling this path with you. And if you breathe into that and um, allow it to be what it is, um, you will come to that place where your dark past is an asset to you, all of these experiences. And um, in my fellowship with, in, in, in uh, that in the circles in, the, in my herd, if I had a problem like this, they'd say, well, um, you know, press into it, learn from it by working the steps around it. Where was, where was I selfish, self-seeking, dishonest, afraid? And find out where you were and, and how, and, and it's difficult because it's painful to, for us to admit that we were, uh, wrong, but that work can be healing and restorative. But when you do it, make sure that you're in your herd so that you're not out there alone trying to dig deeply and deal with painful things because then you will turn to your closest friend, which would be the food if you're not in the program. I pass. Thank you, Sharon R.S., for your response. Thanks, Matt, for the question. Who else has a question this morning for our panelists?
star one to unmute and identify yourself, please. Hello, this is Raquel calling from Israel. Hi, Raquel. One moment, please. Welcome. Anyone else? Stephanie N. Stephanie N. Jody EQ. Jody EQ. All right, that's a good group. Raquel, go ahead with your question, please. Hi, thank you very much for this wonderful, wonderful panel and for your service, Leah. Um, I'll address it to anyone, but I think especially the last panelist spoke about it, that uh, having been a long time in program and how uh, the family doesn't have to eat the way that she eats. Uh, I come up with um, this um, issue with a lot of my, of the people whom I'm trying to help. and. Um, at the beginning, I want to ask whether what that sounds like to uh, to the other people there. At the beginning, I had to take out of the house some of the things that I could not handle. As the one real recovered friend of mine was 20 years of abstinence and recovery, kind of put it in an analogy to the family. She said, if you were afraid of dogs, and every time we sat down to eat, I put a dog in the middle of the table. So she had to take out the cakes and that stuff and say just now for a while, anybody wants this, uh, you can have it outside. And now she can bake and not touch it. And that's wonderful. But uh, people at the beginning who are having a very hard time, it's people, places, and things. And it's not so awful if there was an allergy that that you had to be dragged into the hospital because you're allergic to peanuts or to to uh, uh, strawberries, that that should appear on the table every time you sit down to eat. Uh, I'm fortunate that I'm alone. I can now, you know, one of the assets in this is that I can have, not having the house, the things that I can't have. Uh, I don't, you know, I, I'm just asking, is there somebody in the ta- from the panelists who can remember the beginning? How was it at the beginning to protect your abstinence and to ask for... Um, and to ask for cooperation in that area from the family members. And I, I hope I, I make myself clear, because I need this very much for the people I work with and for myself to understand. Thank you. Uh, this is Shannon. I can answer that. Sure. Go ahead, Shannon. Thank you. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> um so for me, when I first came into recovery, my children were very, very small. And um, so I had kid food around, as I call it, I still call it. And so for me, I, di- I didn't take that all out of the house. Um, I stopped buying um, certain things, but, um, you know, in order for them and, and their nutrition, I, I didn't have an option. I needed to keep some of that in the house. And um, so for me, I just kept saying, you know, this food is not mine. Um, If I take this food, I am stealing because it is not mine. And um, 
And over the course of um, that, you know, that was just something that I had to keep repeating and repeating over and over and over. Um, and even now, you know, my family are not compulsive overeaters. Actually, um, quite the opposite. They can eat a few bites of something and be done with it, and they have a big sweet tooth. <laughs> so, um, you know, I don't buy it regularly, um, but with with five children in the house, things come in their school parties and things. And so for us, um, we have a cupboard and everybody has a bag that has their name on it and that is their food. And I know that if I so much as go in there, you know, that I'm stealing their food. Um, but it also when I do make meals, I'm the primary dinner maker. Um, I primarily make abstinent food. I may make a side of something that I cannot eat for them. But, um, and I don't require that they eat exactly what I eat, but I also am not going to be a short order cook and be making several different meals. So that's how I handle it. And um, as I know in the beginning, you know, we have to sometimes eliminate people, places, and things to protect um, our absence and our recovery. But if I'm truly recovered and I'm truly living in that recovery and spiritually fit every day, I'm going to have that neutrality around the food so I can be around the food. I can be making cookies, have my hands in dough um, the other night and and know and be okay. So um, it's important that if I'm, for me, if I'm trying to control my my outside surroundings too much, especially um, past the initial stages, then I need to go back and look at my spiritual fitness and my recovery needs a lot of work. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Raquel, for your question. Stephanie N., your turn. Hi, this is Stephanie N. Um, My question is, before recovery, I was always fixing um, problems for my kids and people-pleasing and trying to just make everything easy and comfortable for them. Um, and now, I'm sorry, I was on speakerphone. Um, let me start over. I'm sorry, I don't know if you could hear me. Um, I was saying that before recovery, I was always fixing problems for my kids and people-pleasing um, is a big character defect uh, for me. And um, I would always try to make things easy and comfortable for them. Now, um, this past year, I've been trying to set boundaries and have been meeting a lot of resistance, um, which is frustrating. And and sometimes I do get mad and then I feel guilty. Um, So how did you find uh, that place of being kind and loving and tolerant while instilling responsibility in your children? Thank you. I pass. Thank you, Stephanie. This is Katie. I can speak to that if you'd like. Thank you, Katie. Go ahead. Okay. Okay. Um, well, I um, have had to learn to um, step back and say to myself, did someone ask me to do this? <laughs> what, you know, try to re- replay that in my mind when someone actually asked me to do the thing that I'm feeling so burdened that I need to do or I'm doing and I'm feeling resentful or I'm doing and no one's responding the way I think they need to respond. And that has helped me to, um, to let go of so many things that I just was so burdened and feeling responsible to do. And then with regard to, um, you know, times when, because I've had that too, where, you know, my kids will be like, well, why'd you stop doing that? You know, 
why do you, and you just all of a sudden stopped. And I'm like, well, no, I didn't. I told you this time, this time, and this time, I wasn't going to do this anymore. And, you know, and then they're like, okay, <laughs> you know, so I, it's been, um, you know, just a, a learning experience, a lot of um, just trying to find that line where I end and they begin. I mean, it's really hard as a mother when you've done everything for your child for them to live, and then you have to slowly back off, you know, so that they can live on their own. And, you know, um, but it's worth it. It's worth it to see them thriving on their own and to not have that codependent um, helicopter thing going on. So I hope that answers the question. And I think um, this would be one that would be well served on a one-on-one -on -one conversation. Yes. Thank you, Stephanie N., for the question. Jody EQ, your turn. Thank you. Good morning. This is Jody EQ, a grateful recovered compulsive overeater in California. Thank you to all the panelists for sharing so um, deeply and profoundly. Really appreciate it. Um, I think my question is directed to the first panelist who shared. Um, you expressed that it was very challenging for you to turn your marriage around and you, you did constant daily prayer. It's very admirable. And I'm just, I, I could really relate. Uh, my, my marriage ended ultimately and I've been single now for about four, four years and I'm really reluctant to get into another marriage, I have to say because it was so challenging for me for many years. Um, and I'm wondering, what are the benefits and rewards of the um, considerable effort that you put into your marriage and what makes it worthwhile to you to put so much effort into it? That's my question. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jody. Um, this is Leslie W. Uh, you know, what makes it worthwhile for me to have put so much effort into it? That's a very good question, you know, because um, I I have put a lot of effort into my marriage. Um, but, for, you know, for me, I would say, and especially if you're reluctant into, and, I, and let me say that I do also, um, I really understand and sympathize with your reluctancy there. Um, you know, relationships take work. <laughs> um, they bring us a lot of joy, but they bring a lot of challenges too. Um, for me, there is no pleasure without the pain. Um, it is, the work is worth it because of, well, not only the change that it brings about in me because it refines me, I find marriage to be a very refining process when you work at it. It makes me a better person. It makes me a more sacrificing, more giving, as the big book says, giving rather than getting is our guiding principle. 
um, it, it takes away my selfishness. You know, it's like it's like I just feel God keep chipping away, chipping away at my selfishness, chipping away. And it comes back, you know, and I deal with it. I do my 10 steps over it. But um, the reward is having having someone to share life with. Um, you know, I don't demand things out of my husband any longer, and he doesn't demand things out of me. We have a very respectful relationship. Everything that we ask each other to do is a request. Um, if he if 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 he gets um, you know upset over something that I've asked for him to do, you know, I just I I would just remind him, you know, you know, hey, big boy, you can say no. <laughs> I mean. Um, it, I don't, you know, I don't make him do anything. He doesn't make me do anything. Um, we choose to be together and share our lives. Um, and, and also I have two children that, um, needed, you know, need a daddy. Um, and they need to see, and I don't know if you have children or not, but, you know, for me that they need to see a healthy marriage. They need to see how it works. So that they can go out in the world one day and 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 have a have a healthy marriage hopefully as well. So um, the benefits is just is just it's just the fact that you know this is my man and this is you know this is um, the life that God has given me. And if you're having reluctancy, I would just I would just pray to your higher power to ask Him to just give you acceptance and and open your heart to whatever it is that he would have you be and do and and to all the wonderful things that he has in store for you thanks thank you very much jody eq for your question and this will be our final invitation for questions this morning for our panelists if you have a question please press star one to unmute identify yourself i'm tenton t Kenzin. Maggie H. Maggie H. Anyone else? Chapter 9, The Family Afterward. A lot of experience, strength, and hope on the line this morning. Toby K. Toby K. Going once, twice. Three times. Okay. Tenzin P., you're up. Thank you so much. Good morning, everyone um, and panelists. Uh, this is Tenzin P., recovering compulsive overeater. I'm uh, I'm very moved by the courage and the honesty of the panelists and, and, and the topic of thinking about others, not myself. And mine is, mine is more comment, but it, um, I'm moved to share that I've just begun my fourth step now and hearing what you've all shared, in a way, it's a little bit strange to me, but what's, what I'm very triggered by and what's so moved is to hear the family stories because there's a lot about my history as a child in my family that I haven't really looked at, that I am being encouraged to start to look at in my fourth step. So, uh, so your stories today give me an opportunity to also dig deeper into grief that I always ate over, you know, like like you one of you read today about cheerful dismissal that the children did and, and I did cheerful dismissal and eating. So I just want to express gratitude from that side. I'm very moved. 
Thank you very much. Thanks, Tenzin. Maggie H., your question, please. This is Maggie H. Can you hear me? I can. Um, there seems to be two sides of one coin um, between the middle of the paragraph, in the middle of the page on page 124, and the last sentence in the top of the uh, paragraph on page 125. And I wanted to ask for some living example of that. Um, so we think each family has been each family which has been relieved owes something to those who have not. And when the occasion requires, each member of it should be only too willing to bring former mistakes, no matter how grievous, out of their hiding places. And then at the top of page 125, so we think that unless some good and useful purpose is to be served, past occurrences should not be discussed. So I'm wondering if somebody could give a an example of any experience they have with deciding when to bring things out of their hiding places. Thank you, and I pass. This is Leslie W. Go ahead, Leslie. Thanks. Okay. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for that question. Yeah, so um, I think that we just have to, like with everything in life, um, balance, right, respect. Um, So before I got on this call, um, I asked my husband, told him specific things that I would be sharing about, because I shared about some intimate details of our life, like our, like our sex life. It's important that I really wanted to talk about that, but I wasn't going to talk about that if he had a problem with it. So I think that's where the 125 is kind of coming from. Past, occurrence, past occurrences should not be discussed with other people or with that particular person. Like if a person has had an affair you know, um, it, it's not it's not going to be really good or useful to constantly bring that up and reopen that wound time and time and time again. Um, so, and you know, it's not going to really serve a good and useful um, purpose to keep saying, well, you remember when you did that? Um, you remember when you went out with that person or you did that? You know, so that I think that's what it's talking about. But in terms of helping, in terms of like helping other alcoholics or other compulsive overeaters, the part that you were talking about before, um, I, I think that, you know, for, for us to kind of keep those things to ourselves, you know, for me to keep my struggles about my sex life to myself and not share that with other men or women on the line, in an, if it's in an appropriate way. You know, you have to use good judgment. Um, but if it's for the purpose of sharing what you are going through to help someone else, you know, that is the first impulse to bury bottom of 123. The first impulse will be to bury the skeletons in a dark closet and padlock the door, you know, um, we think of you as self-centered in direct conflict with the new way of living top of 124. So, you know, it's, it's just, it's just the fact that we must, we must be honest and open with, with each other, with other, with our fellows who are in recovery. Um, and in order to enlighten certain situations for them that they may be going through, which can avert death and misery for them because our greatest asset, that's our greatest asset, right? Our pain, our misery, our destruction, the things of our lives that, that we've gone through. So 
yes, it is. A, it is an ebb and flow, but you just have to use your good judgment and not tell or not constantly tell something someone else would not want you to tell or constantly reopen a wound um, when you're in a heated discussion, you know, with a spouse. So I hope that helps. Thank you so much, Maggie H., for the question. Thanks, Leslie. And our final question this morning comes from Toby K. Um, you know, I think my question is too specific, and I want to pass on it. All right. I trust your judgment there. Well, thank you, panelists. Thank you, Leslie W., Shannon S., Sharon R. S., and Katie S., for sharing so deeply and honestly with us today about applying the principles of recovery within your family. Thank you so much. And let's close from page 164. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.